0: Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. When uh, MJ, when you were sharing uh, at the end, you said, uh, the way we experience God's love on this side of heaven, this through community, and um, I think it's very fitting, me, fitting for me to start with uh, just express my appreciation to all of you Harvest. Um, you guys have welcomed and embraced uh, Genuine and myself. Uh, you guys have served us very well, um, especially me. I, I came up from Champaign uh, about a year before Jen. And um, at a specific time in my life, I was coming out of a very dark place. Um, And at that specific time, um, I was uh, was questioning God's love for me. I wasn't very confident in it. Uh, But when I moved here, uh, there there are a number of uh, different groups that just embraced me. You know, not all of you necessarily preach the word of God to me or anything, but just Hanging out, um, you know, inviting me over to your place to sleep over, or uh, so. I mean, just just I won't name any any specific people, but just some groups. My my first CG, uh, the City Walkers. Um, you, know, you guys have ministered to me so much. Uh, a few of you invited me over to sleep over to your at your place. Uh, a few of you have worked with me on my resume. Um, Sojourners. Uh, you guys have been very patient with me and I and I thank you for uh, dealing with my craziness um, my, my current CG uh, thank you for uh, thank you for growing with me uh, thank you for letting me share in your uh, in your lives um, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to fight with anyone else but you guys um, and uh the pastors. I think th- there there was a period when I was unemployed and I, w- I lived in Chambre. I lived like walking distance from the, the uh, Harvest office, and I think I was there more than Pastor Frank. Uh, and uh, you know, I would just I would just bother these guys uh, every other hour. Um, I, I, at some points, I was just testing them to see if they would just get annoyed of me or just impatient. But you know, they didn't. They didn't. Um, but you guys have spoken truth into my life. Um, God has worked through you. Um, you. You've been a form of grace in my life, and uh, I am indebted, indebted to you guys. So thank you. Thank you. And then also, um, my wife is back there. <sighs> i guess get some water. Um. We've th- we've been through a lot, um. But you have served me well, um, Jen. You've served me well. Um, I think walking this race with you. It allows me to experience the gospel in such a unique, powerful way. And for me, that is life. And I know a lot of people were initially opposed to our relationship. But they did not know God's grace. You've been very patient with me. At times, you're a little crazy. But, uh... Um, I, I had the good catch. I, I, I won. I have the trophy. I love you. Um, but uh, just, just before we get into the word, I, I do have some disclaimers for you. Um, you're going to see me frown a lot. okay? And this, this, for me, this works as a defense mechanism. okay? I'm, uh, the fact of the matter is that I'm very emotional. If you've been to my wedding uh I'll make the Bellagio fountains look like uh just drops of water um but the reason why i frown, I feel like I can you know shut my tear ducks um so when you see me frowning I'm not I'm not mad um uh, maybe I'm trying to prove a point but uh yeah, it's, it's it's mostly for uh, as a defense defense mechanism I don't I don't like to I have a hard time expressing my emotions or I don't like to express my emotions um It just happens. It just happens. Uh, But on a more serious note, um, the nature of Ephesians 2, that's the text that we're going to look at, Ephesians 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to 9. Um, We're going to talk about some things that are going to make us resistant to what the text is saying. Um, Within this message, I'm going to try to incorporate... Uh, Just a testimony. Um, And in my testimony, uh, I've gotten Jen's uh, permission. We prayed about it. And uh, she's given me the green light to uh, disclose uh, what I will be disclosing. Um, It may make some of you uh, see me in a different light. It may make some of you uncomfortable. But I'm okay with that. You can send Pastor Dave uh, an email. And... um, I'll probably avoid him, but uh, if you can open up to Ephesians chapter 2, and let's read from verse 1 to 9. You know, I really liked what uh, Elder Mike Cho did when he preached. He asked everyone to stand up as we read the word of God, so um, if we could stand so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. Not not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Uh, Please sit, please take your seat. And let's, uh, let's pray and ask the Lord for help. Father, if any fruit is going to come from this message, if any fruit is going to come from what's going on here today, worship service, the seeds ministry, it's going to be a miracle. So that is why we are asking you humbly for your grace, for your power to work in and through every aspect of today, the worship people serving, the word of God preached. We pray specifically for this time. God, let me disappear. Father, let me disappear. Jesus, let me disappear, and I pray that you will come to the forefront. The people that we will see you, you need to show up. Jesus, you need to show up. The gospel needs to show up because we need it we, we see that we will cherish it god so um, some things uh, that will be said maybe uh, putting people in an uncomfortable position but god i pray we pray that you will soften our hearts and that we, we will accept your word with gladness we pray all these things in your name amen Nearly all the wisdom we possess—that is to say, true and sound wisdom—consists of two parts: the knowledge of God and of ourselves. Um, John Calvin wrote that. We don't need to be reminded that um, growing in the knowledge of God, knowing God, is a hard thing, right? I mean, He's He's God. He's infinite. That's why the interns were going to seminary and and we were spending thousands of dollars in in our uh, biblical education, trying to know God. But something that we do need to be reminded of is that knowing ourselves is also hard. And I'm going to actually venture out on a branch and say, I think knowing ourselves is harder than knowing God. I say this because in order order for us to know God or know ourselves the way we need to, in order for us to know ourselves the way we need to, that requires for for us to know God. Therefore, both um, self-knowledge and a knowledge of God is required for self-knowledge. And I think another reason why it's so hard uh, for us to grow in the knowledge of self is that there's a hurdle to overcome. And that is to, and in thinking that we know ourselves when in fact the depth of our sinful condition is beyond our comprehension. The fact of the matter is that nobody who knows themselves, nobody, there's nobody that knows themselves the way they ought to and they need to. The prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? In Psalm 19, uh, verse 12, King David, a man after God's own heart, a man uh, we see as someone who who knows his heart fairly well. He says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. And I think what, what King David is saying is that, we will never get to the bottom, the depth of our nature. He's praying right here. Declare me innocent, God, from the sins so deep in the crevices of my heart that I will never see them until judgment day, on the day you reveal everything. No one knows the depth of sinfulness you know, and it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter how guilty you may feel. It doesn't matter how many hours of introspection uh, you, you, you spend. It doesn't matter how many hours you spend with a counselor, a psychiatrist, a pastor, for that matter. And it doesn't matter if you're the psychiatrist, ca- counselor, or pastor spending hours and times of, uh, of uh, in introspection. You know, We will never know the depth of our heart. And what we know today, if at all true... We're just scratching the top of the iceberg. But, but the Bible doesn't leave us without help to know ourselves. The Bible doesn't leave us without help. On this, on this side of heaven, okay, we may not completely know ourselves. okay, But that doesn't mean that we can't know ourselves significantly in a deep way. Indeed, in a, in a true way. So let's see what Paul has to say in the text about this issue. In Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 1 and 5, twice Paul says, and you were dead. We were dead. Let me read it for us. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, so so that is the diagnosis, okay? We are dead. The remedy going on in, in verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, the remedy in verse 5, God made us alive. He made us alive. And so I just want to establish a, a foundational principle here. The foundation and starting place of God making us alive, making us alive from being dead, is verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. So, the foundation of us becoming alive is a wealth of mercy and greatness and love. Which means this, okay? This is my, my, my just my starting principle, we will never fully experience the great love of God until we know that we were dead. And until that happens, all of this is going to seem light. The Bible is going to seem light. The gospel message is going to seem light. You know, I've been, I've been going to church for basically my whole life. I've been a good boy from the choir. You know, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Why are people why are people jumping up and down raising their hands during praise? Why do people like Bobby and Angela leave everything here their friend, friends and family go off to Tuba City? You know people who talk like that they don't know themselves. They don't know themselves. So we want to know first know ourselves ourselves Know thyself. We want to honestly and prayerfully consider what Paul is saying about us and our deadness. Because when we do that, we'll see what we need. When we get it, we'll respond with humility. And we'll be amazed at mercy, love, and grace. So, point one. Know Know and remember. Uh, again, um, just going back to uh, what we talked about earlier. Twice Paul says, You were dead. Okay, and just to, just to drill this in a little bit more. You know, we're not just in trouble, okay? We're not in the doghouse. We were dead. We're not in the hospital um, with an IV hooked up to us, hoping to be rejuvenated. We already flatlined. Okay? We're in the coffin. We're going to our funeral. We were dead. But dead in what way? Read. Read verse 2 with me. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Okay, so we're not physically dead, right? We're not physically dead. We're walking, we're following, we're following the course of this world, we're following the prince of the power of the air, and so we have legs, we're, we're walking, okay? We're not physically dead. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. And so we're not morally dead either because we have... Passions and we're carrying out the desires of our heart. So, what does this mean? What does this mean? How are we dead? Um, it doesn't mean that we're dead in the sense that we can't sin. Um, but I think it means that we're dead in the sense that, you know, we can't see or feel the glory and love of God. It means that we're spiritually dead. We were spiritually dead. We were like a rock, okay? We were resistant We are unresponsive. We're insensitive to God. There is no moving towards God. There is no loving God. We loved only the wrong things. We couldn't love anything right. Let's continue on to verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. By nature, children of wrath, wrath like the rest of mankind. Um, like the rest of mankind, meaning nobody's excluded. This is a universal thing. But I think the main point of this verse is that our problem is not primarily what we do, okay, but Who we are. Who we are. I am my biggest problem. You guys are not my main problem. Genuine is not my main problem all the time. Emma is not my main problem. My when I I had a full-time job, my job wasn't my biggest problem. My parents weren't my biggest problem, okay? By nature, we are suited for God's wrath. This means when God in His holiness responds to us in anger, that is the perfect, most appropriate thing. You know, and and we're... When people talk to us, when people come to us for counsel and they're confessing their sins, we're so quick to say, God's not mad at you. Your sin's not that bad. We are designed for wrath. That's what this this is saying. That's what this text is saying. And it's hard for me to even talk about this, to even believe this. But we are designed for wrath. This is how we were conceived. Psalm 51, 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And again, I'm sure as, as, as you know, some of us, as we're, as, as we're listening to this, we're responding with such an uh, antagonistic view toward all of this reality. And again, I'm the same exact way. I didn't have a good nature or a neutral nature and then do some bad things, and then have a bad nature. But what Paul is saying here, by my very nature, this was woven into me when I was born, and when I was being, when I was being made in my mother's stomach. Emma, I absolutely adore her. She is a testimony of God's redeeming grace in my life, in Jen's life. And when, when she came out, it was it was awesome. I loved it. It was probably one of the most joyful times in my life. But I couldn't help but think, in the back of my mind, we just brought another sinner into this world. You know? She's, she's going to wake up every two hours and demand, you're going to change my diaper. You're going to clean me. You're going to feed me. When she gets older, dad give me money or... I want to do this, I want to do that. You know. By nature, we didn't have to go through sin 101. By nature, I am selfish, self-centered, demanding, and you know what, I'm really good at making you think that you're my main problem. You know, Think back. We're all like this. Think back at, at all of the conflicts that we've had and how many times do we respond with essentially... I'm the victim here. And you know what? Right now, if the first thing that you thought was, I know someone just like that, you may be terminally blind. The wrath of God belongs to us like a parent belongs to a child. God's holy anger is natural and a right response to us. But... What are we supposed to do with this? And there are, uh, there's an imperative that I want to share. Um, know and remember. And where I got this word remember um, from is the same, same chapter of Ephesians 2 and verse 12. Paul says, Remember. That you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers in the covenant of promise, covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He's saying remember, okay? So that's where I got that word from. But why? Why do we need to know and remember? And there's a twofold reason um, I want to talk about to why we need to um, know and remember. So first, know and remember so that you will cherish your forgiveness, Know and remember so that we will cherish our forgiveness. How many? we we all know the story of the prostitute um, in uh, the book of Luke. This is where we get the song Alabaster Jar. Um, But basically what happens, Jesus is having dinner at uh, uh, the Pharisees' uh, Simon's house, and a prostitute comes in, weeping, because she's so grateful, thankful because she just experienced a sudden cleansing. And she comes to Jesus, falls at his feet, crying over his feet, gets his feet wet and, and, and dries it with her hair. And she breaks the alabaster jar and pours uh, the expensive oil onto his feet. And Simon responds with indignation, right? He says, Jesus, if, if you knew who this was, you would not let her in here. And then how does, how does Jesus respond? He responds with the parable, right? Um, the Parable of the Debtors. He says, Simon, i got a story for you. Two guys, they owe some money to a moneylender. One owes $50, the other owes $500. They both can't pay it. Money lender says, hey, it's all good. Don't worry about it. Which one of those two, Simon, which one of those two is going to love the moneylender more? And Simon said, Probably the guy who owed $500 And Jesus says, Simon, that's right. That's why she can cry. That's why she can be thankful and you can't. If you've been forgiven little, you will love little. And don't misunderstand Jesus here, okay? He's not saying, okay, the prostitute, she sinned $500 worth, and you've sinned only $50 worth. Remember, Simon was a great sinner too. He was a Pharisee. What did Jesus call the Pharisees? He says, Pharisees, you guys are like sons of hell. That's not the point. He's saying, Simon, if you knew, if you remembered From what you have been saved, you'd be on your knees too. Thanking, worshiping, loving. We would cherish him if we remembered. Words of affection. Men. Words of affection wouldn't be stopped at our throat like a foreign language. We would share it. Youth. We would not blush to praise or to pray to God. Harvest Christians. We would not praise with blank faces. We would not pray with rote mechanics if we remembered. Depend on God for that. Only his grace can help us know and remember. If you've been forgiven much, you will love much. second part of this, remember, knowing and remember. Know and remember so that you may not boast. And so that you will be protected from pride and self-righteousness. I'm going to zoom through this part. But uh, there's a passage from Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 6 to 10. And uh, a few other verses. And this is God God recounting Israel's rise and fall uh, in relationship. So verse 6. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, Live! I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. But you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Your beauty became his. and in all your abominations and your whorings. You did not remember. You did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare, wallowing in your blood. When we don't remember, when we don't know the way we ought to know and remember, we're opening our hearts up to the seed of pride and self-righteousness. And and what this looks like in, in, in reality a healthy sense of shame is gone, is lost. We'll say things like, the past is the past. I don't like to dwell on the past. Or, I wasn't that bad. Come on, come on now. Shame is lost and the need for a savior is is, is, is minimized. For some others, our, our our identity will be so rooted in our own perception of us or or others others' perception of us that we'll say things like, Hey, I'm a Christian now. I'm a Christian now. So I'm not going to fall like I used to, or I'm not going to fall like, like the other guy. The reality is we are robbing ourselves. The daily grace God gives us not only to enter into fellowship him where we can grow in character and, and love for Jesus, but also of the God-given motivation and even the God-given ability to to fight the good fight of faith, the God-given ability. And as a result, we make ourselves vulnerable. Remember this. On this side of heaven, sin is still creeping at the door and is ever-evolving. The sin nature that is neglected, given the perfect storm. Christian, Christians here, we will commit the most heinous acts of sin. Use your imagination. If you can think of it, if you can imagine it, you can do it. Preparing for this, I try to imagine the most horrible thing that could happen to me in my life, and by the end of it, I would end up on the 5 o'clock news in jail. I'm sure of it. Know and remember so that you'll be protected from pride and self-righteousness. And uh, this is, uh, I want to get into a testimony here. Quickly, 1994. That's when I received salvation. It was the summer before I entered into into middle school. And uh, real quickly, it was at a summer retreat. It wasn't even the last night, the peak of the, pinnacle of the retreat where, you know, everyone's getting emotional. It was a morning session. It's a very simple um, gospel presentation. But in a second, in a split second, God communicated to me so clearly how much I needed a Savior. And this is a, this is, this is a little plug for uh, the SEAS ministry and for, for us parents don't ever underestimate a simple gospel message presentation. Be faithful in preaching it to our children. Because God can use it. God can use it. Uh, 97 entered youth group. Um, early uh, evidences of pride in my heart. Uh, I began to build my spiritual resume. Um, you know, I tried to do anything and everything I could essentially for myself, uh, my youth group. My youth group was dysfunctional, uh, very legalistic, and uh, we were plagued by sexual sin- sins amongst the older leaders. There are a number of cases where older uh, members um, sexually assaulted younger members. Um, you know, people would be f- caught making out after a retreat in the closet at church. No, it was really bad, and when that happened, in my piety, in my pride, in my self righteousness, fra- righteousness, I condemned all of those people. I said things like, "How could you? You call yourself a Christian? You call yourself a leader?" Two thousand one, uh, come out here to Illinois, start attending U of I, and this is. Uh, Um, where I really began to grow um, in in my relationship with the Lord. Um, I joined the fellowship down in Champaign. And uh, my freshman year, I made a commitment to singleness for the duration of undergrad. Um, But yet, I was still investing in this uh, quote-unquote spiritual resume. Somewhere along the lines, um, junior year, senior year, I stopped remembering the days of my youth like Israel did. And in essence, I lost reality of who I was. I was completely reliant on my accomplishments, my status, my reputation. And and slowly, I became insensitive to God. You know, I I would commit the small sins here and there. Yeah, okay. But still, looking back at the youth group, I would never be like those guys, okay? 2005, I graduate undergrad the doors are open. It's time to get hooked up, right? Um, I met Jen at a church ministry, and we got closer. Um, and things, I, things started off in a very healthy way, but a combination of no accountability in case of fatal pride and self-righteousness one thing led to the next. And the line was crossed that should have never been crossed. And I don't want to euphemize this. We sinned against the Lord. We sinned against the Lord and we defiled each other. We fell into. premarital sexual relationships. We were following the passions of our flesh again. Acting if we were still dead. Rebellious against our Lord. Celebrating the very, thi- very things that Jesus Christ had already died for. You know what? I was now in the same category as those guys in the youth group. And, and as a man... As a man, the quote-unquote man of the relationship, I did not lead. I did not lead you well. I failed to protect you. I failed to protect the relationship. I was cowardly. I did not serve you. And... Till this day, I'm still so sorry. How did this happen? And I'll, I'll trace it back to when I stopped remembering where I had come from. Where I pulled myself away from that grace that God makes available to me to really know and to remember where I had come from. to be continued towards the end of the message. Let's look at the rest of the passage. We'll go through this part quickly, but this is the climax. Verse 4. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, But, God, these are the two greatest words in the history of mankind. This but specifically is the greatest but, the greatest conjunction in the history of mankind. As a joke, I I, I was going to say this, but PD actually suggests a, a funny title for this message. It should be God's big but. But this but here, it immediately negates everything that was just said. It doesn't negate everything in its validity. Everything in verses 1 to 3 is very true. It is so true. But the effects of verses 1 to 3 is completely negated because of this but God. But how did God actually carry this out? How did he actually negate this cup of wrath that we were supposed to take? Read verses 5 to 8 with me. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him who is Christ and seated us, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the measurable riches of the grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What Paul is trying to emphasize in this repetition of in him, with Christ, in Christ Jesus, is that salvation, our very salvation, all of it hinges on the work, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't ever let this become cliche to us. We can do nothing to earn salvation. It is solely on the basis of Christ. And again, if you can note the highlighted words, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive, you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him. Notice the, the, the tense of these verbs, okay? All in the past tense. All this has happened already, meaning... This is the completed work of Jesus Christ. The implication of this is that your salvation, our salvation, is secured in Jesus Christ. As we can do nothing to earn salvation, you can do nothing to lose your righteous standing before God because of Christ. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe that Christ's sacrifice is sufficient to cover all sins, past, present, and future? Just one more thing about this portion. In verse um, 8b. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. For you uh, editors and English buffs, um, what is this, 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 this referring to? What is this, this referring to? Um, you would think that it's yeah, salvation uh, at the point when we hop the fence, right? Conversion. Uh, wrong. That's wrong. This, this is not just referring to salvation at that point, but the whole process of salvation. Jesus is the one who Elected you. He's the one who regenerated you. He's the one who called you. He's the one who justified you. He's the one who is sanctifying you now. Until death, we are all in the process of being sanctified. Sanctified meaning becoming more like Christ. And I know as we hear uh, stuff like this, some of us really question this truth that we are actually being made more like Christ. Why? Because the constant failures, right? Constantly I fail. Some days I'm just not feeling it. I don't feel like I actually love God. What is wrong with me? And actually, you know, because of the nature of our former selves, there will be hiccups. That's the reality. There will be hiccups, the perpetual hiccups of sin. And we're so worn out, we're discouraged by failures and the rate of our growth. But here's Application for this, Christian, root your not Christian Park. Christian, root your identity in Christ. Root your identity in Christ. This uh, this symbol I found in my studies this uh, past summer, um, at uh, Trinity, and it has blessed me and empowered me tremendously. Um, it's a it's an ancient Greek symbol, and the the upper two quadrants are the initials of Jesus Christ. The bottom two quadrants uh, is supposed to be uh, one word, um, Nikao. I mean, so it's saying, Jesus Christ conquers. Nikao means conquers, wins, is victorious. That's where we get uh, Nike. Nike okay? Nike doesn't mean just do it. It doesn't mean that. It means victorious. And how fitting uh, um, for an athletic apparel to be branded Nike Jesus wins. And I personally know a number of us in this group here who are in major sin. Um, And it breaks my heart when I talk to you guys because you speak with such hopelessness, as if Christ has no power, as if you're not changing as if Christ's work was insufficient. Christian, hinge your entire life on the grace of God made accessible through Jesus Christ. The grace that saved us by making us alive. And the grace that is making us more alive by making us more like Jesus Christ. The grace that is enabling us to conquer That which made us dead, that is sin. There is now true freedom in Christ. True freedom in Christ. We don't have to live as if we're still dead. We don't have to live like we do sometimes. When we're tempted, we don't have to give in. We don't have to. There's freedom. By God's grace, we now have a choice. By God's grace, we can conquer. By God's grace, we can change. Remember, the hinge. That Jesus Christ. Nice, almost done. One more page left. I'll leave this up. I'm gonna finish my testimony. The Lord, uh, He quickly intervened into our lives. Uh, we both sought counsel and submitted ourselves to church leadership. I want to make that clear. We were not caught, um, but we both knew that we were wrong. We were sick. We were dying, and we needed help. So we submitted ourselves to church leadership. I was placed on church probation, and Jen and I decided to fast indefinitely. We had an indefinite breakup. We didn't know when we were going to get back together, but we said, Hey, you're my biggest distraction right now. And I'm your biggest distraction. Let's get right with the Lord and see where that leads us. This was the darkest period of my life. Um, I was completely broken, and I had never been, been this exposed to myself. I saw firsthand the manifestation of my sinfulness in a way I never thought I'd see. And during this time, I felt dirty, I felt hopeless, I felt vulnerable, I felt weak. And I was terrified that at any moment I could be tempted by the smallest little thing and that I'd fall, that I could deny my faith. Each morning was a battle to get out of bed. And there wasn't a single morning for about six months I, did, I wouldn't wake up with, with tears, absolutely terrified. And every morning I'd pray, God, God, I just need grace for today. Apart from your grace, I'm going to die. My daily routine was go to work and then go to a, a local church on campus and just sit, hoping that something, something happens. Um, and, and what I realized was that at that point, I wasn't only dealing with my recent failures, um, but what I was battling at that time was a deadly form of pride that got me messed up, that got me into this mess, a deadly form of pride that originated from forgetting where I had come from and what Christ had already done. Um, I fell into depression. And in my depression, I began to condemn myself. I didn't even think of my calling at this point. Um, this happened in '05. I received my calling into full-time ministry in the sophomore year of college, and I, ex- and I answered Um, Big drama with my parents and whatnot. It was, um, it was confirmed. Uh, But at that point, I didn't even think of my calling. At that point, ministry was out the window. Uh, My salvation was on the chopping blocks, and the person holding the axe was me. This is when Satan got a hold of me. You know, I'd say things to myself: "Hey, Mr. Small Group Leader. Hey, Mr. Former Youth Group Praise Leader." Hey, Mr. Trusted by all the pastors. Hey, Mr. Looked up to by so many young guys. You think you're saved? You're a Pharisee. You're the worst of the worst. Remember how you condemned those guys? You fell into the same thing. And on and on. My faith was being attacked and it was dwindling. But you know what? Looking back now in retrospect, I see that Christ still had a hold of me. He still had a hold of me. His grace still had a hold of me. And finally in my despair, almost ready to give up, God's grace began invading my life like a well-planned rescue mission by the church and Harvest. You guys are part of the tail end of this. But uh, it started with a little old frail... Deaconess down in Champagne. She asked me, Dan, this is all in Korean, that's how she sounds, Dan, are you listening to God? And she didn't mean, are you listening to God in the way that you're obeying him? But Are you listening to God in the way that you need to hear him? Are you listening to what he's saying to you? Do you hear him? And she said, go to him. Go to him and hear him. Know what he thinks of you and feels of you when he sees you. And this was absolutely terrifying for me. Someone who was who who in pride and self-righteousness, building up my, my reputation. And now I fall in this manner. And now I'm before, I'm to go to the God of the universe. The holy God of the universe that I thought I knew And I was to ask him, God, when you see me, what do you think of me? And of course, theologically, I knew the answer, but it's terrifying at the core of my heart. But it was when I honestly could ask, God, when you see me, what are you thinking? That through passages like Ephesians 2, that salvation showed up. And the voice of the enemy was smashed. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love, because of the great love with which he loved you, even when you were dead and your trespasses made you alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and you can do nothing to earn this. You can do nothing to lose it because of Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. Daniel, you have been saved by grace. Believe it. And this, this, all of this, your conversion, your growth, your restoration that you're going to be taken through, this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. It is all a gift of God. Long story short, God intervened. He, got, he woke us up. He restored us. He brought us back together. Jen and I are now happily married. We've had our rough past patches, as any married couple would. But even in those situations, Jesus won. He wins. He conquers. Now we have a daughter, Emmanuel. Emmanuel Kim. So everything you see of the Kim family right now is not a result of our works. It's not a result of of, of anything that we've done. Without grace, the Kim family, as you know it today, would not be existent. It's a gift of God. Our salvation is a gift of God. Our restoration, our growth is a gift of God. And when I see Emma, that is the greatest sign, the greatest reminder that I have of the redeeming power, sovereign grace of Jesus Christ, Christian. Your salvation, as in, in its entirety, is a gift of God. And quickly, I wanna I wanna close with this. This is a it's a picture. It's called a, a conversion of Paul. You know, Jesus is somewhere behind the light, shining. Paul is blind now. He's fallen off his horse, and this is the time when Christ confronts him. And uh, I found this picture online, and with it I found an excerpt from um, a a book by Louis Smedes. And this is very fitting for all of us. Paul ran from Christ. Christ pursued and overtook him. Paul resisted Christ. Christ disarmed him. Paul persecuted Christ. Christ converted him. Paul was an alien. Christ made him a member of the family. Paul was an enemy. Christ made him a friend. Paul was in the flesh. Christ set him in the spirit. Paul was under the law. Christ set him in grace. Paul was dead. Christ made him alive to God. How does one give reason for this? How does one give reason for this? He does not give reason. He sings, blessed be God who blessed us even as he chose us in him. Let's pray. In a culture that doesn't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable, in a culture that wants to be so PC, it's natural to not want to delve into our own dirt but could that be because we don't really know grace you know we've been affected by grace okay we're saved but could it be that we don't know grace in such a way that we would respond with just treasuring Christ, cherishing him. And brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you. Lean on the grace of God. Let him show you, remind you where you have come from. Know it. Be courageous. Sit in it. Don't stop there though. But God. But God. Mercy, love, grace in Jesus Christ. From the moment we are woven in our mother's stomach to the point of completion. So let's pray. I don't know how uh, we need to respond. Each of you need to respond. But um, let us lean on the grace of God to do that. Let's pray for a minute. Jesus, how does one? How do we give reason for our standing for God the Father? Why? Why? We look at our past, and if we're honest. We should have been locked up and the key should have been thrown away. The judge should have just thrown the book at us. Why? There really is no reason that we can come up with. So that is why we respond with just utter love for you. How beautiful you are. How gracious, how merciful you are. Father, for those who have forgotten, remind them. You need to remind them. Jesus, you need to remind them. Give them grace for that, And for those, for the brothers and sisters who are hopeless, bring hope. Jesus, be the one who saves and conquers and wins again and again. We thank you so much. We love you. We pray all these things in your name. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.